Hi, I'm Elin Miller and this is Everyday Reconciliation. This podcast is a hands-on look at reconciliation, what it means, why it's important, and what everyday actions non-Indigenous people, like me, can take as part of this national project. As you can hear, I'm a settler. I immigrated to Canada in 2008 and now live in Ottawa on the traditional unceded territory of the Anishinaabe Algonquin Nation. Today, we have a really special episode of Everyday Reconciliation, and our guest needs little introduction. She's a former broadcaster and diplomat and had a long career in the public service, defending and promoting Inuit rights in many different leadership positions. She's the best-known Inuk in Canada and the first Indigenous person to hold her job in the history of this country. The 30th Governor-General of Canada, Her Excellency, the Right Honourable Mary May Simon. Unasakut, Her Excellency, and welcome to the show. Unasakut, Eileen. It's great to be with you tonight. You grew up in a small village in Nunavik, in, in northern Quebec, and you ended up in Rideau Hall. Can you tell me a bit about your background and what brought you here? Yes. Uh, well, as you said, I grew up in a very small village uh, up in uh, Nunavik. We call it Nunavik, the northern tip of uh, the province of Quebec, right across from Baffin Island. And uh, it was a very peaceful upbringing. And uh, it was... Uh, one of these places where you know everybody in the community and there's a lot of interaction that goes on and everybody supports each other to keep the community going. So that, that's really how I grew up. Out, also out on the land with my family. We spent a lot of time out on mm-hmm. the land uh, hunting, fishing and gathering berries and plants and, uh, and uh, living a very... Not it was not an idyllic lifestyle. It was a hard lifestyle in many ways because we had to do everything manually. And at an early age, I I realized that uh, that uh, part of my role was to help keep everything moving forward. So uh, during my career, I've always uh, had a, a sense that uh, and a conviction that. Uh, it's really important to to work with people and to understand their stories and their lives. And in my work as uh, first as a, a leader of many of the Inuit organization, both internationally and nationally and regionally, I fostered um, a way forward, especially in light of the fact that when I first started in politics, I was the only woman that was there on the board. And it took some years before that started to change. And I was always uh, working to encourage other young women to to get involved. And now we see many more women involved. So when I was at, when I was working uh, as a negotiator for the Inuit of Canada during the constitutional development days in the 80s. Uh, I really tried to foster a better better communication amongst the Indigenous organizations, the Métis, the First Nations, and Inuit that had to really work together during those uh, times 
as well as working with the provincial premiers and the prime minister to to try and ensure that um, what we were negotiating was in line with the protection of our rights and also to advance our uh, ability to have more control over return back more control over our lives which was really uh, before really colonization began uh, Inuit were very self-sufficient uh, very very strong people that that thrived and and grew in in one of the greatest uh, changing climates on earth so um, and then when I when I started getting older I, I saw myself as being more of a diplomat and uh, I, I spent years doing some of that and then before I was asked to come to Rideau Hall, um, I had been thinking a lot about this kind of work and how I could maybe contribute to uh, the country to bring a better understanding between uh, Indigenous peoples and other Canadians. Mm -hmm. So that was a bit of a, a shift from, because you spent a long, long career representing Inuit issues in many different roles in defending and advancing Inuit rights, but then you shifted um, towards working on, or, or what, what influenced you to want to work on reconciliation? Well, when I was uh, working to advance uh, Inuit rights and Indigenous rights in different fora, I think we were also working on reconciling our differences. And that was the, the, the whole process of negotiating and rights in the Canadian constitution in land claims agreements, where we have a lot all the land claims agreements are, are signed in, in the Arctic. And um, a lot of that work that we did was really to, to see ourselves in, in the nation uh, much more in terms of ability to govern ourselves and also as being contribute contributors to, to, to the fabric of the country and to the economy of the country. So. I think uh, it's been really, you know, a process of uh, of um, the work that I've done over many years, 47 years to be uh, mm. accurate. Uh, and it's, um, I have realized that reconciliation is a way of life. It's continuous, really, with no date, with no mm -hmm. end date. And it's, it's really learning from our lived experiences, understanding one another. And that mm -hmm. was the basis of a lot of the work that I did, even though it was political. It's, same, it's similar time of, types of, uh, of understanding we need to have in different, even in different organizations, in different negotiating sessions. It, mm -hmm. it can be very much a part of that process. Mm -hmm. Some of the guests on this show um, before you have talked about the use of the word reconciliation and why it's not the best word for describing the process that must take place. And one problem with the word as I see it is that reconciliation implies that both sides have something to reconcile with. But really, in this case, it's pretty one sided. We know who has to right the wrongs of the past and who has to learn and read up about our past. How do you think about using the word reconciliation? Yes, reconciliation is a, is writing the past, but it's also when you look beyond that and look forward, it's also uh, reconciliation. It's also a deeper understanding of how we can live side by side in this country. Mm -hmm. It's not a one-way street. I think a, 
a process where you have to really work at understanding one another. Mm-hmm. I know some some people have have said the word is overused. It is overused in in some situations, and uh, why um, it is not the best way of describing the process sometimes that take place to right the wrongs of the past. Um, but I see it more than just righting the wrongs of the past. I think that's a critical element of reconciliation. First, you have to um, tell the truth, um, cr- fix the wrongs of the past, uh, in either in the political fora through governments or through other avenues. And uh, uh, beyond that, I think, you know, once you see after what's happened with the unmarked uh, graves of, of, of young children that went to school and never went home, um, if we can get past the pain and the whole, whole thing of recognizing what happened and, and having some closure to that, then we have to heal as a nation. Mm-hmm. And it's not just indigenous people that have to heal. I think other Canadians must heal as well. Um, They may be, you know, I've been reading a lot about different situations that are working on reconciliation. And it's really, uh, some of it is is the guilt uh, Mm -hmm. that that comes with something that has happened in the past Mm -hmm. is sometimes carried by this generation. Mm-hmm. And they carry the guilt. It doesn't help to have that kind of of uh, responsibility. So they, they all, those people have to heal as well, mm-hmm. and uh, and therefore I see reconciliation as being something that that has to happen on both sides. But initially, you're absolutely right. These are atrocities that have had happened to Indigenous people. Um, but I have to say that. Um, you know, in reconciliation is not just Indigenous people trying to reconcile. It's also uh, in Canadians reconciling with Indigenous people. So mm-hmm. it, it's a work that needs to really happen on, on both sides. And mm-hmm. there has to be much better respect and understanding for mm-hmm. the cultures and the way of life of Indigenous Cana- uh, peoples in Canada. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in what you said about uh, feeling guilt or shame. I think many... Many of us non-Indigenous people do feel that. And um, sometimes that stops us from, from approaching um, uh, and, and then stopping us from getting to know Indigenous people because we're worried, we feel, we feel bad. Um, and then, then we probably, um, many of us worry about distrust and anger for the same reasons that we feel guilt or shame on the other side. So I'm interested in that bridge building. How can we as individuals overcome these challenges and, and, um, and increase, you know, build, build relationships between us as people? Because I'm thinking of your trip to Germany um, that you did and, and uh, the past uh, that they had to reconcile with. That was a very interesting trip uh, for me to be in Germany during the time that they are also working on reconciliation in terms of their own past. And uh, so... To, to get back, just to begin with, so reconciliation, uh, for, I, uh, for reconciliation to happen, I think we really need to approach each other. So that's your, your, the, the issue you raised. How can you approach somebody if you feel guilty about something? You're going to be afraid of bringing it up because you might, they might 
uh, get angry or, you know, there could be different scenarios that develop. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, approaching someone can be difficult um, over something that's happened or you also on the indigenous side, you, you, you can feel the distrust and the anger for the same reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's really about building mutually respectful and friendly relationships um, to overcome some of these individual um, issues that people need to heal from. I just remembered reading something and I, I, it, it, it was something that I thought about a lot that um, <clears throat> when um, an individual or people as a, as a nation feel the guilt of the past, they can be impacted by it themselves in terms of how they develop as individuals within their own um, region or nation. And you can be intimidated by many things. And to overcome that and to build a stronger economy, you need to overcome those feelings of guilt. Or in our, in our case, um, the anger that comes from us or from Indigenous people is because uh, what uh, colonialism and residential schools did to destroy uh, the people both Inuit in First Nations and Métis people in Canada and to overcome those, um, overcome that anger, there's a number of things that have to happen. You, you know, the truth has to come out. Mm -hmm. The ownership of those accounts have to be taken by governments and, um, and then the healing and the, and the dialogue that needs to happen in, in Canada has to take place. And that's really where my role comes in. How do you see your role in, in this regard? Can you explain that a little bit? Because I, I'm thinking about the, the role of Governor General. It dates back to colonial times and the, the role has evolved, but it still represents the, the colonial federal powers and, and all the history that comes with that. So I'm just interested in, in, in how you see your role um, in relation to that and, and how that uh, relates to reconciliation. Yes, um... So the office uh, of the governor general really dates back to colonial times. And uh, we pretty much all know some of that history. Uh, and, the, and the role has evolved, but some people still feel it represents colonial powers and the history that comes with it. Um, so when the prime minister uh, called me, um, I just started thinking about it more. And now the relationship between the Crown and Indigenous people is something that's still very sacred. Uh, when you look at uh, the work that is being done by uh, each of the uh, in, uh, groups, Inuit, Métis and First Nations, and uh, the leadership at the na national level, how they are working to build our relationship with Canada through Crown Indigenous relations within the federal system, that means that you know, the indigenous people still see the crown as being a, a very much a sacred place in, 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 in our federation. Mm -hmm. And as I am proud to undertake all the duties uh, of my office, let's say I do a lot of things that, that aren't obvious to the public, uh, like giving royal assent uh, to bills that have been passed by our parliament, 
representing Canada abroad during state visits to honoring, celebrating the achievements of Canadians. And this has all been a very, uh, has been a big thrill to me to discover all the different uh, facets of this, of this position. And, um, you know, when you look back on Her Majesty the Queen, uh, she has shown one of the strongest commitments to service as a leader. So mm -hmm. I think there's, you know, there's always, there's two sides to the coin sometimes. Some people see it in a more negative way, Whereas for Inuit, I come from the Inuit community, so um, we see it the way I just explained it, mm -hmm. and we don't have any factions that say we're not part of uh, part of Canada. We don't have that at all in our in Inuit nation. Mm -hmm. Despite everything that happened in the north with the forced resettlements and the killing of the sled dogs, there's still that belief in the Crown Inuit relationship. Well, we can't undo the past, so we have to move forward and that is to build a new relationship with the federal government because that is where the crown is and uh, uh, i think that a lot of uh, leaders see the need to re review what's happened in the past for instance i suppose the indian act is one mm -hmm. uh, thing that people often talk about and and keep looking at it to make changes because the status quo is no longer uh, acceptable to people to indigenous people and the government has made a commitment to make the changes so i think the work there is important mm -hmm. and as a result of that inuit to crown relationship um, the prime minister is involved in that process too mm -hmm. and i as a, as the governor general um you must have a fantastic opportunity to foster that relationship. Yes, very much so. And uh, I think, uh, you know, some of the plans I have for bringing uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities together in terms of building long-lasting relationships between us and also creating the, the conditions for healing and reconciliation because uh, it's a national issue. I'm trying to be a bridge between different identities in our country. I understand that your father learned Inuktitut um, and, uh, and it must have been quite a journey for him uh, to move up north and stay there. Because you sound pretty um, optimistic when you speak of reconciliation. You think your experience seeing your parents building a relationship coming from very different backgrounds has something to do with that? I Yes, I, I believe so. They both taught us, my parents, my mother and father and also my grandmother was very important in our upbringing because she she lived with us all the whole time um, and she was a very strong individual in a woman and uh, the 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 fact that that i'm able to work in this place rideau hall and the fact that I, i'm able to live in in a city like ottawa uh, i i i believe that my my parents taught me that because they taught us to live in two worlds the world of of inuit which is basically my real like my foundational identity is inuit culture and and language and yet they taught me how to be uh, a leader in another context like being a leader in the cities of the country in halls like rideau hall 
uh, I have attributed all that ability to to fit in, so to speak, into either context. Being in the North in the Arctic, I'm instantly an Inuk woman living in a small community. When I mm -hmm. move here, I'm instantly someone. Mary Simon is the leader of the national, you know, Inuit organization. You know, things like mm -hmm. that. And I don't have any trouble uh, sort of moving back and forth between that. So I attribute a lot of that to my parents. Mm -hmm. And you were eight siblings, so a big family. Did you um, have some of your other siblings also um, sort of moved, uh, moved in that direction, like living in, in two words? Or? Oh, yes, yes. I think uh, everybody in, in my family has done that. But... Uh, they they all live up in Kujuak still, but over their own career, they have moved to different places as well. But they've returned back uh, to Kujuak, and um, uh, yes, they've all achieved their own um, you know their own work in the in the field of what they're doing. Um, my sister is the head of the women's shelter. She does a tremendous job. One of my sisters, my other sister was the head of the hospital there so and my brothers are pilots and you know they they're all kind of high achievers is that what they call it bush pilots yes they're bush what, what, two, they're two of them are the best bush pilots in the north it's just an expression that you keep hearing yeah bush pilots yeah yeah um so you briefly mentioned um, your plans um, as a governor general for reconciliation. Could you um, describe a little bit more what you concretely plan to achieve? Well, reconciliation is an overarching cornerstone of everything that, that is happening in the country. So I have quite a few priorities that I mentioned uh, during my installation speech, uh, mental health, uh, youth, um, inclusion and diversity, climate mm -hmm. change, uh, nature and the environment. Mm -hmm. And those are just some of them because once I we're starting to develop, you know, different uh, approaches to these areas. And uh, one of them is to bring people that have expertise in those given fields to help us develop a, a, an agenda to to implement over a, pe a period of time working with other Canadians mm -hmm. so that they can have their input as well. So <laughs> I, I plan on going, once the pandemic um, allows us to travel one again, I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but once, it, once we can travel again, I plan to, to travel across the country on numerous occasions to talk to Canadians about their views on reconciliation and i mm -hmm. hope to build that into our own uh, plan of what we need to do as a country because reconciliation does not have an end it's it's a way of life it's something we have to practice every day and um and and we have to allow people to be able to tell their stories their true stories uh, and also i think one of the things that we need to do as a country is change the way we tell our history. Mm -hmm. The history books of Canada, I think, need to be changed so that that they so that our children at a young age can learn about not just what happened, but how much contribution Indigenous peoples 
have made in this country even before um, contact was made in in history uh, there was uh, thriving indigenous communities and uh, those things need to be taught in our schools and i didn't i had i was not taught a single word about it when i was going to school mm -hmm. you and, were in day uh, school yeah and uh, and also uh, everybody that i've talked to in, in the southern canada they've never really been taught anything about it and uh, if our children can learn these things at an early age i think they will learn and grow up to be compa more compassionate about different cultures and be more sensitive to how things happen in our country. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you, you have planned for reconciliation? You said traveling around and listening to Canadians. <clears throat> uh, well, in the more immediate future, I had planned on going to um, Kamloops, to, uh, to British Columbia before uh, actually my trip was scheduled for the, the same time as the terrible weather they had, the, the catastrophic storms they had in November. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to be traveling to, to see the people in Kamloops where the unmarked graves were first discovered. And um, I think that, that the discovery of those unmarked graves um, really did uh, mark a change in how the country was views reconciliation. And also, I think people saw with their own eyes that uh, this harm of the past was actually very true. And I think those unmarked graves was, were really an, an, an initial um, shock uh, to the country. And there's mm -hmm. probably going to be more, but the first ones were probably the big shock. And uh, it made the history of residential schools real for everyone, even though the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has all this in their, in their report. A lot mm -hmm. of people don't read reports, so they don't necessarily mm -hmm. know what's, what's in those reports. Um, I think that everyone, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, uh, people were really united in their core of what had happened and what these children and their parents had gone through. And uh, mm -hmm. the story of these children is now the story of Canada. And mm -hmm. we, you know, we have to make sure that these things never happen again. But in order for them to never happen again, I think a lot of cha changes need to be made. Mm -hmm. what, what, were the, what would the first changes be that you you think should be made? There are different levels. Reconciliation, what the federal government agreed to do some years ago now, during when Trudeau first got elected, was change the relationship between Indigenous people and the federal government and, and the provinces. And that has to happen. That has to happen. People are still talking about the fact that there's no clean water in many of the in, uh, First Nations communities. We're having uh, water problems in our communities as well in the north. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that, you know, the government has clearly stated that giving or recognize, recognizing that we are in the process of taking our rights back and our power back 
is is a is an important part of reconciliation. That's something I can't work on. That's a political issue. So that that is one thing that I watch very closely, but it's not something that I can that I can be involved in because I'm uh, I'm the representative of, of the Queen and my position is not a political position. So uh, I have to I have to be uh, in a place where I can contribute but mm -hmm. not be political. Um, there are things that I think we can, we have to do is, uh, you know, when some years ago, when the government apologized for residential schools, uh, I think it was in 2008, um, I, re I had to respond as the national leader to, to the apology. And I, we didn't have a lot of time to, re to think about it. But one of the things I was clear in my own head is that the apology had to be significant in terms of what happens after the apology. Mm -hmm. So my the work that I was doing at that time was heavily um, focused on Inuit education. And we were developing a national strategy for Inuit education. And we felt that the education system had to change in a way where it would not just embrace the culture, but also to, to embrace curriculum development in a way that allowed our people to learn with, with their own language, with their own development of curriculum. And that is like slowly happening, but uh, mm -hmm. there's still a lot of work that has to be mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, I think um, one of the things that I always, always uh, think about when I think about reconciliation is um, is that uh, we really need space to heal. Uh, I think mental health, I mean, it's, it has been exacerbated by uh, the pandemic, but nevertheless, mental health, mental illness, and, and, and better mental health services has been a, a very difficult issue for, for indigenous communities when it comes to, to, to having any kind of service. So we need space to heal and planting seeds of hope and respect for that is, is really a lot of the work that I need to do. And mental health and physical health go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. So mm -hmm. we have had pretty, you know, we've, we have had services for physical health in the, in the North, in indigenous communities for, for a long much a long time even though they're not adequate we had we do have them but mm -hmm. there's very very little service for anyone that it requires uh, support in their mental health well-being mm -hmm. i have one more question i always ask every every guest on the show what what they think that non-indigenous canadians like me should be doing as individuals very concrete things that we can do on sort of a day-to-day -day basis what would your top three things be how, for, for Canadians to do to contribute to reconciliation? I think it's really important to reach out to, to other people, to Indigenous people, uh, if you're you know, committed to reconciling uh, the differences. It's really important to reach out and, and talk to people, find and learn about their stories. Uh, their stories are, are probably very different from your stories and to understand them and why 
they are the you know they feel the way they do and from there i think you you talk to your own group your own bubble or your own group to your family and just put yourself in a position where you want to know more about not only what's happened in the past but what's happening today in indigenous communities and and also talk to your member of parliament i think it's really important to talk to your member of parliament because your member of parliament has also a lot of colleagues that are that are in power in the government and if there is enough understanding and discussion about what how why we need to move forward uh, then i think that can happen uh, you know the the federal system is diff is complex and you have a lot of uh, different uh, parties uh, involved in in these uh, in these discussions so i'm not suggesting that it's a it's an easy thing to do it is not an easy thing to do but i think as long as we can feel that we're building that relationship in a more positive way and have a better understanding and compassion for people that have been through some very very difficult periods in their lives then i think that relationship will grow uh, now you know i don't want to sound like i'm just all kind of like flowery and you know <laughs> it's going to all turn out really well it's not you know i mean there's going to be periods where things will be difficult uh, mm -hmm. but for me when i've always taken this approach when i face adversity and i have faced adversity many times in my career in my work i try and learn from that i try and learn and grow from it and become a person that's more understanding and then i go back out again and <laughs> and and expect more <laughs> adversity <laughs> but uh, I just, I'm a firm believer of never giving up and just, we have a word in our language uh, that I've been using quite a bit in, uh, in my work and it's, it's, it's a very important word. It's, uh, the word is ayuinata. It's an ayuinata? Ayuinata, yeah. It's an Inuktitut word and it means, um, it, it, it's a word that, uh, that I used to hear when I was uh, growing up. Uh, my grandmother and others used to t talk a lot about what was going on and the hardships that we, people were experiencing from relo forced relocations and so on, uh, ep the TB epidemic. There was a lot of uh, different, very difficult situations in, in, the, in the Arctic. Uh, and mm -hmm. I often heard that word, ayuinata, and it means, uh, it means making a commitment, uh, a promise, and uh, it also means never giving up, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, that we find meaning in its action every day. And it's hard to, to find a word in English that, mm -hmm. that actually, you know, brings the whole meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to kind of explain it a bit in English. But it's very much a, a word that, um, that, you know, that, that I think we, if we can all remember to say it, we should all say, are you in that? Are you in it? Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I will remember that. These were very good. Um, this was great advice um, for Canadians. And, and um, I would certainly try to follow, follow them. Um, 
And thank you so much, Her Excellency, for participating in this episode. Uh, I learned yes. so much from you. <laughs> it was a wonderful discussion. I really enjoyed it. Ali. <laughs> thank you. Kuyanamik. An enormous thank you to the Right Honourable Mary Simon for speaking with us today. Something she said has really stuck with me. I'm trying to be a bridge between different identities in our country. I can't think of anyone better to be doing that work. Of course, if there is anything we've learned from the conversation so far in this series, is that we all need to be taking part in that work. Working to learn from Indigenous people, share what we learn with people in our lives, and work to change the halls of power in this country by talking to our representatives about the things we care about, like reconciliation. Or, in other words, Ayunita. Making a commitment, making a promise, never giving up, and finding meaning in its action every day. Her Excellency reminds us it isn't always easy. The process of reconciliation will be tough, and most importantly, it will not end. But we can learn from each step we take, grow, and each become more understanding. Ayinita, I won't forget that. That's all for this episode. Thank you as always for joining me, and until next time. Everyday Reconciliation is brought to you by Rio Tinto in Canada 2020. The show is edited by Ross Clark and produced by me, Ely Miller, along with Carolyn Smith and Aisha Jara. The artwork was designed by Sylvie Leveillier and the music was produced by Marius Miller.